Um, today we're going to be looking at the story of a man named Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. And he too is a man who is in desperate need of God to, to heal him and to transform what he was doing. So if you'll turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, if you don't know where 2 Kings is, you can just start flipping through, uh, through starting Genesis and go to uh, Joshua and keep turning. You get to 1st and 2nd Samuel, then you get to 1st and 2nd Kings. Get to Psalms and Proverbs or Nehemiah, you've gone too far. But you can also use the table of contents or just look it up on your phone, which I guess is what most people probably do. So anyway, we will be looking at this man, Naaman, and the context of 2 Kings here is that in this sermon series, we've looked at a few people. We started with Abraham, and then we moved to uh, Moses. And so Abraham was, was kind of before the nation of Israel gets established. The promise of a redeemer comes through Abraham. And then in Moses, you have the nation of Israel, and then we get the law. And then uh, after, the, after the exodus, and as they're going, they're in the promised land, they fall into this very dark time of the judges, which is where we had the story of Gideon. And Treb last week talked about King David, and it's this bright, shining moment in the history of the nation of Israel. Well, that bright, shining moment passes, and now in 2 Kings, we're about 140 years after the reign of David. So David has died. His son Solomon has taken his place and, and, and reigned in an incredible way, and God blessed that kingdom. But Solomon, even though being an incredibly wise man, was very foolish in the latter years of his life. And when he dies, his sons split the kingdom into two different kingdoms. So in most of the New Testament actually is written in this period of the divided kingdom. So you had a northern kingdom that's normally called Judah. That was the uh, Judah, excuse me, flip that. Northern kingdom was called Israel. And the southern kingdom was called Judah. So the southern kingdom was just Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. The northern kingdom was the, the other ten tribes. And that kingdom existed for a while until the Assyrians came in in 722 B.C. and took them away. The southern kingdom maintained for a little bit longer until 586 when the Babylonian Empire came in and took them into exile. Almost all of the prophets in the Old Testament are written during this time and are written to prophets that are uh, proclaiming God's truth to these two different kingdoms. So in our story today, we're going to be looking at a man named Elisha, who came after a guy named Elijah, and they had this incredible uh, prophetic and pastoral ministry in the northern kingdom of Israel. And so we're going to look at this story here in 2 Kings chapter 5, in this period of the divided kingdom that's going to go all the way until everybody's taken into exile and they await the coming Messiah in the New Testament. Before we do that, let's pray and jump into 2 Kings chapter 5. Lord, you're amazing. Uh, my words just are not enough or even close to enough to just express how much we love you, how grateful we are for our own salvation, for the salvation of our friends, for the transformation of drug addicts into those who testify of the gospel. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your work on our lives. Thank you that you work in the lives of ordinary men and women. Help us this morning to understand the truth from your word. Teach us by your Holy Spirit that which we need to understand. Transform how we think. Transform and conform us to who you are 
and your ways, Lord Jesus. We need your power in our life. We need you to cleanse us and heal us. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. So the, the uh, Arameans were this kingdom. If you're thinking about uh, your promised land, promised land, holy land, same place, I guess, Israel, geography. Uh, up in the northeast of that is going to be the kingdom of Aram. And the seat of that kingdom was going to be the town of Damascus, which is in modern-day Syria today, same place. And so Aram is today where modern-day Syria is. And uh, they were a kingdom that had constantly bothered this northern kingdom of Israel. They invaded and they, they just caused them all kinds of issues. This man Naaman was the commander of the army of that kingdom, of the king of Aram. And it says he was a great man in his master's sight and highly regarded. And look at this, through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The Lord uses all kinds of people. And he had used Naaman to give victory to this nation of Aram, of the Arameans. And it says he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. There's always this, uh, in the Bible, when you see the word but, or, or, or this other words of contrast, there's this great contrast. It's like you start in chapter 1, you're like, man, this guy is amazing. He could not be any more awesome. But he had leprosy. Because everybody has some kind of deficit in their character, don't they? And, and Naaman had leprosy, which in the for, the, for the Jew, leprosy was this outward symbol of sin. And it includes not just what we, what we uh, call leprosy today, but also a variety of skin disorders. But it was no good, and it would eventually kill him. Verse 2 says, Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She had said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went to his master, the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Uh, your Bible may have a footnote uh, of the weight of those things. That's about 750 pounds worth of silver and 150 pounds of gold. And as of Friday, that would be today worth almost $4 million. So most of that is in gold, about $3.5 million worth of gold, and then $100,000 and $200,000 worth of silver. It's a lot of money that he's strapping on the back of some donkeys and heading into Israel. It says, The letter that he took to the king of Israel said, With this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So in verse 7, As soon as the king of Israel, which is a guy named Jehoram, as he had read the letter, he tore his robes and says, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? He's terrified. He says, Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? So he thinks that this king of Aram has sent the leader of his armies to the king of Israel so the king can heal him, and the king knows he can't, so he's like, great, now what am I going to do? So in verse 8, Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, so he sends him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Just have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. 
So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Notice, Elijah treats this great man Naaman like a subordinate. He doesn't even go out and talk to him. He sends his servant to go out or sends a messenger to go out and give him the message. It's incredible. Because Naaman is this, it says right here, he was a great man, highly regarded, a valiant soldier, commander of the army. And he goes to this prophet, and the prophet just sends his messenger out and says, hey, go tell him to dunk in the river. He doesn't even come out and talk to him himself. So Naaman went away angry and said, well, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Are not Arbana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, far better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. So Damascus had these two beautiful rivers that, that watered the land. And of course, everybody thinks that the stuff in their own hometown is, is better than, than somewhere else. But these rivers actually are a lot prettier than the, the Jordan's kind of like the Red River. Like it's muddy and it's not a super clean little river. And it's not some massive river either. And so he's looking at this dirty little river and saying... Seriously, I come all the way with all this money, and you want me to just go dunk seven times? And this idea of him dunking seven times, if you're uh, interested, you can go back and, and look in, uh, in the book of Leviticus, and you will see that that is part of what was not just dunking the river, but in order to be uh, cleansed from leprosy, and, and there was this process that the Israelites had to go through in order to do this. It involved uh, the killing of these birds, and they would sprinkle, get hyssop and these other things in this bundle and sprinkle it on the, the person, and then they'd have to go away for eight days. There was this enormous process that Jesus talks about when he heals someone in the New Testament. But you're welcome to go and jump back in there if you're interested this week and find that. So Naaman is mad, and his servants very wisely come up and say, listen, my, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then if he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman, really in a great act of humility, goes down to the Jordan and dips himself seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. So not only had his leprosy been healed, but his skin had been restored to his youth. It's amazing. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to Elisha. And he stood before him and said, now I know, listen to this, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. He wants to pay him. And the prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. You think Elijah could have used $4 million? Yes. The answer is yes. But he did not receive even a penny of it, even though Naaman urged him. And Naaman says, if you will not, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. So this idea you have Naaman, right, who was a pagan polytheist. And he's one of just a very few uh, conversions like this that we see in the Old Testament. We see uh, a Rahab when they go through Jericho. We see in the book of Jonah, the sailors that are with Jonah get converted. And then we have here Naaman, who comes as a pagan polytheist who believed in a multitude of gods, served a particular god, goes and, and asks to be healed, and he is healed. And then he makes these incredible statements like, I will never again 
make burnt offerings and sacrifices. I will never worship any god but the Lord Yahweh. And he says, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master, the king, enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. See, he knows that he is the commander of the army. He's going to have to go in with the king, and the king's going to bow down and worship this god. And Naaman's not going to be able to get out of that. But he's not going to be worshiping the Lord his God when that happens. Excuse me, he's going to be worshiping the Lord his God when that happens, and he won't be worshiping this false god, Rimmon. And he says, please forgive me. And Elijah says to him, go in peace. Isn't that an amazing grace for him to say that? Such incredible mercy. So, what do we, what do we take from, from these things? It's really an incredible story, right? Now, Naaman, by human standards, was not just some regular dude. He was an incredibly powerful military leader. The military leader over, over an entire kingdom. He was successful. He was a valiant warrior. Yet he had an incredible deficit. He had leprosy. And the first thing that I want to look at is that every person needs God's cleansing and his healing. Every person. The book of Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That means you. That means me. Every person save one, the Lord Jesus, sinned. And we all need to be cleansed of our sin. We all need to be made new. We all need to be healed. All of us, there's this great lie in our world today that basically we're okay without Jesus. Guess what? We, we are not okay without Jesus. We desperately need him to cleanse us and to heal us from our sin. Naaman was not okay, and he knew he wasn't okay. He had this incredible deficit, this incredible mark on his character. He's all these things, but he had leprosy. He had this disease that he contracted that was incurable that would eventually kill him. Every human has the same disease. It's called sin, and we all need to be cured of it. Everyone. There is no exception. Everybody needs this because we've all got this leprosy of the heart, this sin that causes us to walk in a manner that is contrary to who God is. And it destroys and it tears us apart and it ruins our lives. That's what Dylan was talking about up here. Sin had gotten in and it started to destroy their marriage. And something had to happen. And what happened was Jesus kicked in the door. It's incredible. But every person needs this. You need it. I need it. We're all on the same level playing ground. Second is this, that the gospel can come from the most unlikely person. So this little servant girl is totally unnamed. And it says that their uh, raiders or bands from Aram had gone in and taken captive a young girl from Israel. So these Arameans had gone into wherever she was from, and they had either kidnapped her and then brought her as a captive into their land. Or worst case scenario is they had gone in and in a raid, killed her family, and then taken her as a captive. Neither of those is an ideal situation. And this little girl, it doesn't say even how old she is. I, of course, think she's 11 because I have an 11-year-old girl. But she's this young girl serving Naaman's wife. How is she going to view Naaman? What's she going to think about this guy who is the leader of the military that took her away from her family? I think she's probably going to not like him very much. That would be my guess. And yet, what does she do I think somewhere in there she forgives him 
And then she looks at his need. She says to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. See, this little girl can see Naaman's problem. She sees exactly what's wrong, and she knows exactly what he needs. The gospel comes from the most unlikely people sometimes, doesn't it? Every time the gospel has been uttered by a human, it has been uttered from the mouth of a forgiven sinner. Every time. Every time, every time you heard the gospel and I heard the gospel, when you got saved, when I got saved, if you're hearing the gospel now for the very first time, it's coming from a man saved by grace through faith. It's not coming from a perfect human. It's coming from a saved human who has been forgiven and so is learning to forgive as God in heaven has forgiven us. It comes from the most unlikely person. Never if someone is preaching the gospel or telling someone about Jesus, never discount them by what they look like or how they smell or how much money they make. This little girl gave him the only hope that he had. The last three things are about God's healing. The first thing is this, is that God heals in God's way and not ours. See, Naaman came ready to pay, man. He had $4 million worth of stuff hauling it in on mules. He had chariots. He was, he was like, man, I'm, I am, I'm coming to buy myself a miracle. Naaman, even when he gets told what to do, he's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I thought some prophet was going to come out and wave his hand and do some mumbly-jumbly over me and be this giant explosive. Naaman shoots into the sky. Whoa, Naaman's better. He's like, I'm an incredible dude. You should do some kind of incredible thing to heal incredible me. And Elijah says, hey, I'm not even going to come talk to you. I, Elisha, the prophet of Israel, I'm just going to send my servant to tell you what to do. You either do what he says or not. Not up for debate. So Naaman has a choice, right? He can either go dunk in the water or he can die of leprosy. That's it. Uh, there is, Elisha does not come out and debate um, epistemology with him. He does not come out and debate modern medical practices with him. He does not come out. He doesn't do that. He says, you want to be healed? Go dunk in the Jordan seven times. Because we have to be healed God's way. Because God heals in God's way, not ours. An application to this for today is this. There is only one gospel. That's it. There are not many gospels. There's the gospel, and then there's a bunch of lies. That's it. And the gospel is this. There is a God He has a son named Jesus. He sent his son Jesus to die for the sins of the world. He died on a cross for my sin, for your sin, for all the sin of all mankind. And then he laid in a grave for three days. And then he arose from that grave victorious. And he comes to us and says, you must come to me. You must repent of your sin and turn to me and be saved. That's it. There is no other gospel other than that. You cannot go in and roll in with your mule loads of gold and buy yourself the gospel. It's not for sale. And you cannot go and earn your way to the gospel. You cannot be good enough or pretty enough or smart enough or clean enough to make yourself worthy to God. You can't do it. Why? Because the price for your and my salvation was the life of Jesus. And it cannot ever be bought. It can only be accepted It is grace, which is unmerited favor, which means you don't earn it, which means you've got to understand that you don't 
deserve it and then receive it freely from him. And you receive it by faith. You believe that God is who he says he is, that Jesus died on the cross, that, that his death was enough to pay for your sin and that his resurrection really happened. And that in believing in that, you have new life in him. That's the gospel. Anything else you hear isn't the gospel. What the Mormons are preaching is not the gospel. What the World Society Church of God is preaching is not the gospel. They're crazy. Don't even Google them. But there's a whole bunch of things out there that aren't the gospel. And then there is one thing that is. Paul wrote an entire letter to the Galatians because he was furious that someone had come in and was like, you know, really the gospel is that you've got to become Jewish and get circumcised and then you can get saved. And Paul went in there and wrote a whole letter blasting that whole idea, saying, well, no, 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 no. You are made righteous by faith alone. So God heals in God's way, not ours. And one of the things that we often do is we get lost in the weeds. And we, as we um, interface with unbelievers, we feel their pain and we want to make them feel better. And so we're like, well, Really, God just wants us to be kind to one another. Really, God just wants us to, to um, fight injustice. It, those things are true. God does want you to be kind. He does want you to fight for the oppressed and the fatherless. And he wants you to fight against injustice. But none of those things save anybody. Only faith in Christ saves us from our sin. So don't get hung up in the weeds talking to a person about what they don't need. Just like if you go to a cancer patient, and they have cancer, what they need is to be cured of cancer. They don't need you to say how great their shoes look or how wonderful they've done in their career or how great a dad they were. Those things may all be true, but the problem is that they're dying of cancer. A lost person's problem is that they are dead in their sin and need a Savior. So always bring it back to Jesus. If it drives them crazy, just say, that's a really great point. Let's open the Bible and let's read about Jesus. And I think eventually you'll get some of those questions answered. And they say, well, what about, did God create the world in seven days? You're like, let's go look at Jesus. Let's see what he says. Well, what about this? Did God do that? Let's go look at Jesus and see what he says. But what about the church and how they behaved in history? That's an excellent question. Let's go look at Jesus and see what he says. If they get annoyed at you for doing it, let them get annoyed, but bring them to Jesus for crying out loud, because anything else is just wasting time. No man has ever been argued into the kingdom, so don't try it. Fourth thing is that God's healing is free. It's free. Uh, if you can, run with me to Romans chapter 3 briefly, which is a theologically dense, <laughs> that's one word for it, chapter, uh, where where Paul is explaining how it is that, that we receive our righteousness. How is it that we're made right before a holy God when we are not righteous? And in chapter 3, verse 21, it says this, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith, belief. In what? Jesus Christ. To who? All who believe. There is no difference. What if you're a Gentile? What if you're a woman? What if you're trans? What if you're uh, a Republican? What if you're a Democrat? Guess what? There's no difference. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared righteous freely. How? By His grace. How? Through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. Anything other than that is not the gospel. And if you're reading this for the first time and you're like, I never understood the gospel, you need to go and get saved and you need to trust in this reality. And if you've been telling someone else something that's not this, you need to go back to that person and say, I'm sorry, I need, let's go read Romans together. Here's chapter 3. This is the truth. It says that his healing is free, freely justified. Why is it free to you and to me? Why is it that we are freely justified by faith? Because that price has already been paid, folks. There's, who's going to go pay it again? Are you going to go pay it? Am I going to hang on a cross? If that is the case, we are screwed. Because I am not Jesus. I'm not even close. And Billy Graham isn't Jesus. And nobody else is Jesus. Paul was not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. It's already been done. It happened once for all. It's done. So it's now free to receive cost immeasurable how much is jesus worth everything everything and more infinite so the cost for your salvation was infinite but the reception of it is free by faith that is all god's healing is free elisha wouldn't accept a dime Last thing is this, that God's healing transforms how we live. Naaman came in as this polytheistic pagan. He worshipped the god Rimen. He did, Lord knows what all he did in his worship. And he comes in and he makes a statement, never again will I make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. I am now exclusively God's man. He would not turn his back on the Lord and he even acknowledges, I'm going to have to do some things that are going to look like I'm worshiping another God, but I'm not. I'm only worshiping the Lord. God's healing transformed how Naaman lived. Naaman doesn't get talked about anymore in the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus talks about Naaman. It's incredible. But it transformed how he lived. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to this church which is incredibly gifted spiritually, massively gifted, and yet not living as they should be. In chapter 6, he's going about talking about how they're... In chapter 5, they'd, there was this horrible immorality going on. This believers were suing one another in court. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he says this, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Why? Because God, God's not going to let us come in and dirty up his clean, holy kingdom. We don't get to dictate that. Do not be deceived, he says, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And look at this verse. And that is what some of you were. He's talking to the church in Corinth. 
Paul's listing out who they used to be. Like with Naaman, you used to be a leper. You're not anymore. And that is what some of you were. Do you remember the, the, the big but, sorry, in Naaman's story? But he had leprosy. This contrast, this stain. This gets reversed here. But you were washed. You were sanctified, made holy. You were justified, declared righteous. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You and I were washed. We've been sanctified, made clean. We've been declared righteous through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it should affect how we live. Paul is telling the Corinthians, listen, that's not who you are. Dylan and Rebecca are not a drug-addicted couple. They are two children of God saved by grace, and they are walking in newness of life. When the Lord asked Dylan, are you ready? It's just like Naaman. Elisha coming up to Naaman, sending his messenger and saying, Are you ready? You ready to do what God says? Go get in the water. And Dylan, Dylan he, he got in the water. And the Lord cleansed him and made him new. There are only two types of people in the world, right? There are the believer, those who have been saved by grace through faith, accepted the gift, and then there are unbelievers. We need to kind of quit dividing people into other kinds of groups because those are the real ones that matter. Whether or not you are black or white or whether or not you are rich or poor or whether or not you are male or female or, and that spectrum is amplified greatly as of late. Don't matter. I don't care what you declare or what you think or what you feel or what your, the only solution to our sin is Jesus. There is no other water in which we can get into and get washed. There is none. So either you're hearing my voice right now and you've never been washed clean by Jesus. And I implore you to think about that and come to him. He is calling you and turn to him and be saved. Or you've been saved and sometimes you forget who you are. And you... And walk around like you're a leper and you go and do leprous things. The same God who washed you and sanctified you and made you clean indwells you in the Holy Spirit. You need to go nowhere to get clean. He's already declared you clean. You do not need to walk around and yell out, Leper! Leper! Unclean! No believer ever has to say that even if you're living like a leper. So I don't know what your week or your month or your year or your decade, I don't know what's going on in your life. Some of you I do. Grateful. But Dylan and Rebecca, they had two sides of the story, right? Rebecca was walking right with Dylan in all of that sin, and she was saved because she'd forgotten who she was. She was trusting and needing this man's approval instead of the Lord Jesus's. 
And when we seek approval from other people that aren't the Lord, we do all kinds of terrible, stupid things. Whatever it is that you have, if you feel unclean today, come into the water and let the Lord Jesus wash you of it. Turn from it. Leave your gold in the land and fill up your bags with dirt so that you can worship the Lord wherever you are. Naaman was willing to trade everything he had to be clean. Are you? Are you willing to trade everything you love to experience the freedom of walking in newness of life? Are you willing to turn away from sin? It's so good until you're in it, right? It's so deceptive. Let me ask you one final question. Like that little girl, captive in Naaman's home, she had to forgive someone before she gave them the message. Is there someone in your life who you know needs the gospel, but you need to forgive before you tell them? Let me just encourage you to forgive them as God and Christ has forgiven you. And go and tell them the same good news that saved you and that saved me. That Jesus can transform who we are. I don't think there's any better object lesson for today than this table of communion. Where we look at the Lord Jesus and what he did. And that same book that Paul wrote as he's writing to the Corinthians. That they were a terrible mess. They were a total disaster wrapped up in their sin. And yet he looks to them, and they had been taking this Lord's Supper, and they had been getting drunk at it, defiling this beautiful thing. And yet he says, there is this beauty to this thing where it looks at, and we remember what Jesus did, that on the night that he was betrayed, after supper, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant poured out for you in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. That every time you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And then as Paul is writing that to the Corinthians, he says, don't come to this table if you're just walking in sin. Don't do it. Take this moment this anchor that God puts in our regular life to say, Lord, I'm going to come to you, Jesus, and if I've been walking in a manner that is away from how you want me to live, that I come to you now and I want to walk in newness of life, that this would be a time when you are washed clean again, when you are renewed and refreshed, and you can walk in this great freedom that we have when we walk in obedience to Jesus. Will the servers please come forward? Heavenly Father, thank you for this great gift that we have of communion. Thank you for this remembrance of who you are. Thank you for the treasure that we have in Jesus. Help us to boldly come before you today and to live out the gospel that you have won for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We take communion by method of intinction, which means you're going to take some bread and you're going to dip it in a cup. And as you take a moment to just consider 
what the Lord has done, as you remember what he's done for you, his body broken, his blood poured out, and a new covenant. Take a moment before you go up and just consider, weigh your heart before the Lord and ask him if there's anything that he wants you to deal with right now. And take this time and deal with it. And then go and take communion.